for the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Kate Scott. Welcome to the update on today's show. Well, first off, from all of us here at The Athletic, Happy New Year, friends. We hope that last night was your best New Year's Eve yet. And speaking of the best, before Stephen Curry, there was Monte Ellis, the star guard who links the We Believe Warriors with the current Curry-led three-time champs. But for a lot of young Warriors fans, the connection between Monte and Steph is hazy at best. That's why we're diving into the legacy of Monte and how the present-day Warriors don't exist without him in a two-part conversation with longtime dub scribe Marcus Thompson. It's Wednesday, January 1st. Well, Marcus, you've covered the Warriors for as long as I can remember. Uh, what made you want to write this story now? I mean, I've always wanted to write it. I remember in 2017 when they brought the We Believe team back to honor them because it was like the 10-year anniversary of We Believe. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I want to talk to Monte. And... He was kind of hiding out up in the suite. He didn't really want to talk. So I've, I've been trying to get a hold of him because, like, he's the one guy from that era that you can't get a hold of. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody else is, like, out there and kind of relishing the success they had and the and the, the cred they have from it. But Monte just been in the cuts. So <laughs> I've been wanting to write about him for a while. Yeah, so what was his reaction when you finally reached him? Uh, he was cool. I got some help from uh, the Warriors because I told them what I wanted to do. And when Steph wore his jersey for the final game, that's when it was like, all right, here's my here's my reason. For some reason or another, he was just ready to talk now. Okay, so for folks who don't know his story, Marcus, maybe they know he was a part of a trade three years ago. But who before. are those people? Like, There's, who are Marcus, they? Marcus, I know. They don't exist. I, there is a lot of them. Not everybody is as old as you and I are. So for folks who don't know much else, they – They've heard the name. They saw Steph come into Oracle last year at the end when they were closing the building down in Monte's number eight jersey. Take us back to the beginning. How does the story of Monte Ellis and the Warriors get started? So in 2005, the Warriors hired Mike Montgomery as their head coach. Really more 2004. But So this was their first draft. Chris Mullen was the new general manager, and the 2005 draft in June was their first one you know, this new era, so to speak. They had already traded for Baron Davis in a midseason trade. I think it might have been February of that year. So they kind of had their, you know, their point guard. But Baron, you know, his contract, he had a couple years left. He didn't know what was up. And they drafted a guy named Ike Diagu, who I know that Warriors fans don't remember, out of Arizona State. He was the number nine pick. He was supposed to be their, you know, their big man of the future. And then... They drafted Monte Ellis, 40, and a guy named Chris Taft out of Pittsburgh, another big man, 41. But Monte was a a high school to pro jump. This was the last year that that was allowed, and he was one of the last ones to do it. Um, Lou Williams was was after him, I think, Lou Williams, and Andre Blatch. I think those might have been the last two. But Monte was in the last class where high school players could jump. And nobody had any idea who he was. He was a six foot three, seventy five pound guard from <laughs> for, <laughs> for real um, though, right? <laughs> Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. Huh. This is after LeBron, right? So LeBron kind of is the pinnacle of the high school to pro, mm-hmm. and then it kind of goes down after that. You got some failures, you know, the Corleone Youngs of the world. So it's kind of fading out anyway. But 
it was still like one of them things where it's like, all right, let me find a, a high school a high school player. Let's find somebody who's young and you could develop. Okay, so they draft him in 2005. And how's his first season with the Warriors go? It's very rocky. Monte was, man, he was raw. And Mike Montgomery was a very old school coach, very traditional in his approach. So Monte had the body of a point guard. You know, he was six foot three. He was very thin and light. So he played. He had the body of a point guard, but he, he didn't have the skills of a point guard. And Mike Montgomery, he didn't mess around with that. Like his point guard, you had to be able to do certain things. And Monte, for instance, Monte couldn't dribble with his left hand. He would go right all the time, mm. only right. So Mike Montgomery didn't play him for a long time. He was just kind of glued to the bench. Well, let's get into that because for a kid who, as you mentioned, age-wise, would have just been finishing up his freshman year of college. He's 19, 20 years old. How did he handle not playing, and how did the vets take to this really young youngster? Well, initially it wasn't. He was just like an afterthought. He was on the end of the bench. He was very quiet. He didn't talk. He didn't complain. Uh, I think when I, I, it was like one moment I realized he got to play one game and he did all right. And it was like, oh, wow, how'd that feel? He's like, I should have been playing. And I was like, oh, he is mad over there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. But that was, that was the only way you kind of knew. Eventually, as the season got away from them, they started playing him. And as he started playing, it was like, all right, Monte wasn't the Monte that we know, though. He was uh, the he was the guy who would give you full court pressure. He was picking up under the basket, like at, you know, full court. He was playing defense. Wow. He was the the point guard who was coming in to pester the other guard. Mm-hmm. He didn't take very many shots, but if he did, they was mostly in transition. And then, like as he got comfortable, he would start taking shots. Uh, he was a pretty good shooter. He had a really good mid range. It might have been his last game of the year. It was one game towards the end where he went off and he had like 20-something points. Tate's got it again. Same thing. At three, he rises and hits again with nine tenths left. And it was like, ooh, a message to Mike Montgomery. Let me show you that I could play, right? Right, yeah. And <laughs> so. then before his second year in the league, the Warriors make a change at the coaching spot, right? Yeah, yep. They got rid of Mike Montgomery after two years, and they hired Don Nelson, which at the time seemed like an incredible upgrade. And it certainly freed up a player like Monte. This was a – like he was going to play the kind of pace that Monte would thrive in. But things didn't really change very much. You know, they struggled. Monte became a starter that season. And I think they struggled for a while, like just kind of maybe 500 floating around. And then in January is when they made the trade to get Steven Jackson and Al Harrington. They finally gave up on uh, uh, Troy Murphy Mm -hmm. and Mike Dunleavy, and they made that that trade. Okay, so they they trade for Steven Jackson and Al Harrington, and Ellis is suddenly becoming this great energy spark plug off the bench. And what happens the rest of the season for both Ellis and the Warriors? Well, he becomes this, like, change of pace guard. Uh, Like, he started for a while, right? He ended up becoming a starter. Mm -hmm. But then Ellis ended up becoming a bench guy, and it was Baron Davis and it was Jason Richardson. Those were the starters. Ellis became the newer version of Vinny the Microwave, right? Just come in, (laughs) you know, bring the energy. He was so fast. He was so fast. They used to call him the Mississippi Missile. Three levels of Monte game. 
fast, fast, faster. He's the quickest guy you can ever see right now, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he can do this because he's fast. And he like me. See, I ain't never been slow. Even though he could only go one way, he was so fast you, you couldn't really stop him. Mm. Uh, and he started to develop that mid-range jumper where he could pull up on a dime, and he was still really good at applying ball pressure. He was like a quiet Patrick Beverly before Patrick Beverly, yeah. and definitely not as physical or as mean, but just a guy who would just be irritating and knew how to use his quickness to stay with his man. It was uh, It was interesting to see him blossom that way because he didn't have to – carry a load the load was being carried by other guys mm -hmm. yeah and he goes on to be named the nba's most improved player for the 06 07 season and uh some pretty good things happened for the team at the end of the year too right yeah he shot 60 percent for a month which was nuts wow when you think about it yeah i, I remember that because uh he he couldn't miss and he, he it was mid-range and it was transition layups that's what he would do and then they kind of took off. They make their run. They win, I think, 10 straight to close the season. And they steal a playoff spot from the Clippers. And then they go on to upset Dallas. The Golden State Warriors have pulled off the greatest upset in the history of the NBA playoffs. They have defeated the Dallas Mavericks in six. Quiet is kept, though. Monte was terrible. <laughs> he was terrible in huh. those playoffs. Uh, there, there's this lasting image of Mate on the bench, kind of like banging himself in the head because he he keeps messing up, hmm. and he he doesn't have a good playoff series at all. But what was he? Nineteen? Yeah, <laughs> right? maybe twenty. He, yeah, maybe twenty. He yeah. was so young that it was kind of like this is how it go, young fella. You could still see that he was going somewhere. He was going to be a good player. He was going to matter especially next to Baron Davis. Yeah, and he did. Golden State going into the next season, riding high. Monte's third year in the league, so he's maybe 21. And uh, as you just said, Marcus, he, he starts playing even better. Yeah, then he becomes a dude. He becomes uh, a starter, number one, because they trade Jason Richardson in the 2007 draft for Brandon Wright, which was really like the first tug on that that string on the sweater mm -hmm. that brings it all apart, right? Mm -hmm. That was like the first thing that started the end of everything. But trading Jason Richardson gave a spot for Monte. So now the backcourt is Monte and it's Baron Davis. And this is important because Baron was a thick dude. You know, Baron was strong, physical. Even though they're both about 6'3", Baron was physical enough to where he could guard uh, two guards. So they kind of alternated on offense – Monte played two guard, but on defense, he defended the point guard, and Barron defended the two guard. Mm -hmm. So it was a bit of a fit that way. You know, it, it worked for them, even though Monte had the body of a point guard, but not the skills of a point guard. So he was able to, to switch back and forth. And they were actually good that year. They won 48 games. They barely missed the playoffs. But as Warriors go, it was some drama all year. Don Nelson... Baron Davis, and they clashed. Baron, you know, Baron was a, a big star. He had other stuff going on. He was making movies and documentaries. And, and like, right before when they were fighting for a playoff spot, he had a, a screening or of, of his film. That's right. I it was remember called that. Made in America. It was about, like, gang violence or something like that in South Central. And it was at the Park City Film Festival. And he went. He ended up late for something, so Nelly benched him for the first half. 
of a big game that they needed and ended up losing and ended up not making the playoffs. It was just the the mess was happening. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, Chris Mullen was beefing with the owner was beefing with the owner or the team president and he was kinda AWOL. Nelly was trying to get a new contract and Steven Jackson was trying to get a new contract. It was just it was kind of a mess. Even though they won forty eight games, it was a mess. Well, as you mentioned, you know, the first thread starts to come undone and then more and more threads of the sweater of the of the we believe core start to come undone. And while all that's happening, Monte resigns. So it should be a great time for him, right? Six years, sixty six million dollars. He he is now the face of the franchise, but instead, what happens? First off, he gets all these tattoos, right? <laughs> like I just remember Monte leaving and coming back yep. in, after the off season, he was like all tatted up. We were yep. like, "Oh, what happened to the quiet guy?" You know. So here's what here's how the story unfolded. Mm-hmm. Monte got hurt. Something's up. He hurts his ankle. And we get on this conference call with Chris Mullen to explain what happened to Monte because this is during the off season. It's tough news, obviously, and you know, right now all the focus and energy is on getting Monte the best care and making sure he recovers and give him all the support he needs. And Chris Mullen is saying, you know, Monte says he was playing, you know, basketball and someone landed on his his ankle so he's got a pretty bad sprain on his ankle or he needs to have surgery and we were asking Mullen questions and Mullen is like Mullen is talking as if he doesn't believe it Mm. he's saying stuff like yeah so Monte says you know and Monte said so his claim was like he's talking like that Mm -hmm. so I'm like wait a second you know, this not sounding like some. Normally, even if you don't believe him, you playing the part, right? You're right. saying you're saying something in the back of your player, but just the way Chris Mullen was talking had me thinking he didn't believe him. So I made some calls, did some did some reporting, finds out they didn't believe him, and they went to go check on him because they didn't. His story wasn't panning out, and of course, as we all know, it didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. He actually hurt himself. He was riding a moped, and he actually tore the deltoid ligament, which is the, when you sprain your ankle, when you injure your ankle playing sports, it's the outside ligament that gets sprained and gets swollen. That That's the common one. The one on the inside is really hard to tear. It's, it's, it's most common in motorcycle injuries. Mm. Like that, that ligament to make your, to make your foot go in like that takes a lot of force. Usually the kind of force that doesn't happen in basketball. So he ended up tearing his deltoid ligament and needed surgery. And that really started the, the bad blood between the Warriors and Monte. So what does that bad blood turn into? What is their reaction to finding out how the injury actually happened? Chris Mullen is of the mind that, all right, he suffered enough. Now is a good time for us to put our arm around the young kid. He made a mistake. He fessed up. And let's, like, take care of him. He's going to be out a while, so he's already suffering, right? Mm-hmm. He's already being punished. But the Warriors president, who was operating on behalf of the owner, who was kind of a ghost, well, Robert Ryle, he just did not like that approach at all. He's like, oh, hell no. Nah. Like, like, nah, he's got to be fine. He's got to be suspended. Uh, so they he ended up basically overruling Chris Mullen and wow. was public about it. That he had a press conference and he's, like, basically ripping Mullen for not being there. And he's saying, uh, 
that they suspended him for 30 games, cost him $3 million, and on top of that, they were reserving the right to void his contract if he didn't basically recover from it. Wow. Because Monte riding a moped technically violated uh, the uniform code of his contract. You're not allowed to ride motor vehicles and stuff like that. Mm. So they could have voided it, but instead they suspended him 30 games, and they basically was like, man, if you don't come back, we're going to void this contract. So it was it was a lot of beef. Mullen disagreed with handling it that way. So there was it was like this triangle of soap opera drama all year. And the drama, as I'm sure you longtime Warriors fans remember all too well, was just getting started. In part two of our conversation with Marcus coming up on Friday, we'll discuss the role that Golden State's drafting of that skinny point guard out of Davidson played in it get into how trading Monte to Milwaukee affected both Ellis and the Warriors, and hear why it was so important to Stephen Curry that he wear Monte's jersey into the final regular season home game ever played at Oracle Arena. That's your update for today. Thanks to NBC Sports Bay Area for the highlight sounds. Thanks to all of you for listening. Happy New Year, everybody. What do you say we make 2020 our best one yet? Is that a deal? All right, deal. I'm Kate Scott from all of us here at The Athletic. Enjoy your next few days. We'll be back with part two of The Legacy of Monte Ellis on Friday. Talk to you then.